This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox. The Seattle hip-hop artist Dre's released a single this year called Building Black Wealth. It's a song about the importance of buying from black-owned businesses, something he does in his life. Building Black Wealth is a concept Dre's admits can be easier said than done, as he explains in the outro to this track. Like to me, building black wealth is like a matter of survival for black people in this country. And I get it. I'm not saying it's easy. But at the same time, man, it's no excuses. I meant what I said, bruh. But you can't even pass up Starbucks to go to the coffee shop because it's five miles away. I can't get my nails done with the with the black lady because she charged too much. I'm, come on, man. I'm just saying it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. I caught up with Dre's back in March and first asked him, what are some of the things preventing more people from buying from Black-owned businesses? Let me first say I'm drinking Tago Coffee, which is from Seattle, Central District, Black-owned coffee shop. You know, the biggest thing is mental, right? It's a mental hang-up. As Americans, we buy whatever's marketed to us. It's not always because one product's better than the other. It's because sometimes it's accessibility. That can be really hard. Um, sometimes it's price point, which I address in the song. Yep. You might have to spend a couple extra bucks. Small price to pay for peace of mind and health. Building black wealth, spend money with yourself. It's a small price to pay for your freedom and health. Building black wealth, spend money with yourself. No excuses. And sometimes it's quality, right? Which is a fair argument. If I, I, I'm never one to say buy something where the quality's bad, right? Um, but for the most part, I think it's accessibility and it's a mental thing. It's a mental hang-up. And then accessibility, those things. Yeah. You also mentioned in this song that there are lies about the quality of products um, from black businesses. Our products are not inferior to lies they're telling us we're building a black business in America. What are these lies and where are they coming from? You know, the, there's a, a, a concept that permeates American culture, right? Which is that if it's black, it's less value um, or it's not quality or something of that sort. It's just a part of, I think, if I'm being blunt, that's it's just a racist connotation that is woven into the American fabric, right? Like, racism is America's greatest sin. Like, everyone knows it besides people who just don't want to talk about it. But at the end of the day, it's still here with us today. And the way it manifests in our lives today is by these subtle messages, right, that keep someone... I speak at a lot of colleges and high schools, and when I speak there... I've been throughout Seattle and I always ask the question, can you name me three local black owned businesses? And I've never had one high school or college. I've been to the University of Washington, 300 students in a big room, and they could not name me three businesses black owned. And so when you look at the fact that African-Americans spend one point two trillion dollars in America every single year. Right. But now there's a study out that says that the wealth in the African-American community is set to, to bottom out by the year 2053. So what you're saying is we have money, we're spending it with other people, and we're not accumulating wealth. So when I say building black wealth is important, it's important for all communities because a strong black economy is a strong America, right? It's a strong economy. To me, we need strong 
Every community needs to be strong. Asian community, white community, black community, right? And so building black wealth is a matter of survival and it's a practical way forward, right? It's a practical way for us as a community to build wealth, right? Just spend it with yourself, right? Just kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to spend with some people who look like me. That was Dre's talking about his song, Building Black Wealth. It'll be featured on his upcoming full-length album called African American, which will be released later this year. Coming up after this track, we're going to check in with two black business owners in Seattle about building black wealth and what their experience has been running a business in this city. That's coming up in just a few minutes. Now I was brought up in a small village in Zimbabwe called Danganvuda. My address is P35B. <laughs> Trying to look that up on a map, boy. Anyways, I just remember the feel and the vibe of the life. You know what I mean? Like, we ate whatever my grandma had in the garden. You know what I mean? She had the mango tree. We used to eat the greens from the garden, the tomatoes, all of that. You know, the chicken, they kill it right there. You're going to eat it for dinner tonight. <laughs> That's real life. But I remember after all that, we didn't really have TV or nothing like that. So they would set a fire and we'd all go sit around the fire. We would sing play games and tell stories, you know. They told me, where your treasure is, then your heart will be. So I spend money with folks who look just like me. I know in every hood that there's a Nipsey, but you won't rock with him until he's on TV, but not me. Nope. nope. It's all black everything. Mike by the wife, some emoji diamonds for the wedding ring. I don't understand those who don't support their own. I can tell you what I'm on, but you probably wouldn't know I'm different with mine. Watch came from Tally and Twine. First we fitted from Katula. I shop Zuvo online, ladies. Why go to Asians when you can go down to powder? Wigs from there. When there's royal strands here, I need you to care. Leave that Victoria's Secret there for that savage Fenty. Matter of fact, a couple pair. Nah, this ain't no trend. Black business, how I live. From my wife to the kid, whole squad know what it is. I bank with one United. I stream my music from Tidal. I stop seeing people with melanin as a rival. Sipping that Earl Stevens to rock on the rocks, nigga. International trades, my celly service for figures. Sometimes I rock with Uber, sometimes I keep it moving. I shop at Simply Wholesome, I'm watching what I'm consuming. Nah, I ain't no vegan, the reason the trap kitchen. That mac and cheese from my two cents. Linda, listen, this is the art of homage. Yahweh on my back. How is it contradicting if the savior is black? I'm different, I know. I wipe my ass with freedom just for you. Say I'm going too far, I say self-love is your issue And I don't need a billion of us, I just need a few and Some white folks who ain't afraid of equality too Reparations are due, and that's true But in the meantime, what if me and you just supported me and you? I mean, I would say something like the Jews, but you are the Man, forget it, stay confused And keep serving a system that ain't serving you Why you think I got O in the back, blowing the blues? And they don't like when I start adding two and two I drop poops to the rhyme me 28. Yo, that's you. If you ain't rocking with this, your problems are bigger. You're subconsciously aligned with the one who put the trigger. With this baton in my hand, I ain't claiming no dude, but I was moved. So, yo, this marathon continues. And I know you probably never heard of most of this stuff, but you 
got that search on your phone, man. Look it up. Our products are not inferior. The lies they telling us. We're building a black business in America is rough. If you can't buy in bulk, it drives the price up. Yep. You might have to spend a couple extra bucks. Small price to pay for peace of mind and health. Building black wealth, spend money with yourself. It's a small price to pay for your freedom and health. Building black wealth, spend money with yourself. No excuses. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. We just heard a conversation with Dre's about the importance of building black wealth by going to black-owned businesses. To help understand the landscape for black business owners here in Seattle, I spoke with two local business owners back in March about this. Here's the conversation. Uh, my name is Frank Uluenya, and uh, I represent the Rumba Notes Lounge that is located in the Columbia District of Seattle. Columbia City, yeah. Yeah, yes. all right. Yes, thank you. My name is Arif Gersell. I am the founder of the Pan-African Center of Empowerment, which is a local Washington-based nonprofit. Um, and today I will be speaking about one of our initiatives, the Union, which is a co-working space located downtown Seattle. So I'm curious, um, are there other African-American-owned businesses in the neighborhoods where your businesses are? Yes, uh, my neighbors in the next to Rumba North, we have a Kenyan restaurant called Safari Njema. And we also have another shop that sells uh, spices and other groceries next to us, owned by a gentleman called uh, Adam. And what about you, Arif? You're downtown. So what is the <laughs> landscape like for you down there? It's very Seattle, so no. Um, I can't think of, um, off the top of my head, other black-owned businesses that are located um, in our immediate area, in our region. Like, I can think of, you know, at some points in time, there was, you know, the black-owned restaurant in Belltown, maybe, which is a mile away or something else. But no, I think that's one of... Um, that was one of the driving factors for us opening the union downtown is creating a place for people of African descent to have a place to commerce and commune. Well, you even said, you know, because you're you're a working space, some people, when they are, are going there, they're surprised. They're like, wait, this is downtown? Is this actually, for me, is this where I should be? Yeah, it goes to show you the racial uh, fabric of our country um, and the trauma that, you know, even um, people in my community deal with that when you open something for them that's of a level, it's almost like people don't believe it. Um, and so we've, we've watched people get lost because the address is, says what it says and they can't believe that the address is where it is. Like you can't be on 2nd Avenue in Seneca with a place that's built and created and curated for people of African descent. Um, and then they walk in and then they think they're still lost because, you know, it's Herman Miller chairs and, you know, um, I like nice things. And so, you know, we, we made sure we put nice things in for our community. And so it's amazing when you have even people who have been transparent and honest enough to say, you know, I'll be honest, like, I didn't think this was the place because I didn't think this could be the place. 
So I'm curious for both of you, you know, we've seen so much growth here in Seattle, just population wise and cost of living wise has skyrocketed in the past decade. Do you think that that has helped or hurt your business? For me, I would say that uh, it has done both because the area we are in is like we say, it's an area that new communities are moving into. Gentrified, gentrifying, yeah. Yes. And so some of the new communities that are coming, they're not not conversant with what we are offering in services or experiences. So we have to do more education to let them know, hey, this is because what we do is entertainment. We, we provide a space for entertain music and other arts programs. So we have to educate those people who are moving in to, to learn about what we do, which in one way is really, really good because now they are exposed to new experiences. But on the other side, it's like, oh, uh, they think that area there is a, some kind of stigma. It's like, oh, that area is for black people. I don't need to be there. But a good thing is that after a while, they, ended, they end up finding out that, oh, I can come in here and feel welcome. Yeah. We, we've done a profile on um, your sister's Rock the Arts, kind of an open mic night that you do at Roomba Notes. Yes. Um, and what a lot of people said is they were like, you know, people that were from out of town and said, where can I go? Like, where is like an African-American focused entertainment night in Seattle yes. that I can go and feel welcome? Yes. And it was at Roomba Notes. Or people could say, a lot of people said, you know, I'm being pushed out of my neighborhood, but here's this place that I can still socialize and gather um, that still feels welcoming to me. Yes, and you're right about that because the Sisters Rock, the arts program, is something we put for the, we created for the community. Yeah. So, so Arif, what about you? I mean, so the, the union has been around for about a year and a half or so, mm-hmm. um, but you've been in the business community in Seattle for, you know, two decades now. Yes. Um, so you've seen some of the change here in Seattle. And I'm curious, from, from your perspective, from opening up a business, is it has it been beneficial or, or not to, to see all of this growth and change and, and, and increased cost of living here in Seattle? Um, life has changed. Um, so... You know, I I think it's important to note that I'm a I'm a New York City transplant. So when people talk about gentrification and being forced out, like I come from a place where that was like created, <laughs> cemented, and like mastered. Um, and so I saw what happened with Brooklyn with me personally. Like as a kid growing up in Brooklyn in the '80s, you know, you would only see black people in Brooklyn. Like nobody wanted to be in Brooklyn. And as you got deeper into Brooklyn, like nobody wanted to be there. And so as I you know, went through college, left, started going back and forth to New York. You would, I remember the first time my friend said, like, let's go to a party in Williamsburg. And all of a sudden it was like white people from Manhattan and Williamsburg partying in Brooklyn. And you saw the change, right? And you saw things starting to happen. And so for me, you know, I never lost what that meant to the smart black families who bought houses and didn't move what that did for them wealth-wise, what that did for people who stayed in their communities and opened businesses that catered to the change and then just fight to change. And so, you know, for me, I've always been one about economic empowerment in our communities. And so I I actually, our business um, is modeled to support the change. Um, I think there there is a influx of smart, young, technically savvy people of African descent 
moving to Seattle from all over the world. The people who are bringing them here, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Zillow, Twitter. You know, I can just I can just run down a list of like the top 20 tech companies and we can talk about like even though they only they all have a diversity inclusion problem with like a 0.0% of a black population, if I aggregate all those black people, they're looking for community. When when they move to Seattle from a DC, Atlanta, and New York, they're used to being downtown. They're used to having an Afropolitan lifestyle. They're progressive. They make money. They're used to and so when you show up in Seattle, like I did, I realized, like, yo, there's nothing here for me. And so I, I was constantly surprised to see, like, Seattle ranking on, like, top places to live, top places to date, top places. I'm like, yo, they are only talking to white people. Mm-hmm. Because if you ask me, this is not a top place to date, right? I don't see people that look like me all day. If, you know, it's not a great place to live when I'm being, like, getting all kind of prejudice when I walk into a place to rent an apartment and a woman asks me if I'm in a rock band or if I'm in a band. And I'm like, no, I'm actually an engineer. But that doesn't, that's not the first thing you thought about. And so for us, the union was a place of, like, where can those who have been in Seattle, who want to be progressive, who want to work on businesses, who want to commune with other like-minded progressive people, where can they go downtown? Um, you know, when I started a, a company a few companies ago, years ago, I w- remember looking for office space downtown, going into co-working spaces. The microaggression was real. The You don't have to tell me I don't belong when you're grabbing your purses and moving your, your laptops. And, and I just got to a place where I'm like, I don't want to keep paying to force myself into people's spaces. Um, you know, there's so I think there's just two narratives in the black community right now. There is the narrative of um, the space invader, people who are constantly fighting for a seat at the table. I want to be in here. I want to tear down the all boys clubs. I want to tear down the all white men's clubs. I'm just tired of like forcing myself into places where people have already told you they don't want you. So I'm part of the new generation of space creators where we will just create our own spaces curate them for us. We don't have to discriminate against anyone. Everyone's welcome. But you know what? Just like Starbucks curated their environment based on how they wanted their environment, I'm curating my environment based on African music and African art. And you know. And if you like those things, cool. If you don't, you can choose another place. Um, but the changing landscape of Seattle is driving um, our success and our business because what we're seeing is People are showing up to Seattle looking for like-minded people. The Seattle freeze is real. It's worse in the black community. There's a lot of false narratives, especially when you think about, like, tech companies and, like, diversity and inclusion and, like, the black employee resource groups who all say they're looking for community, but they're really not. And so what we find is we have people who are leaving, who are coming from tech companies who are saying, my ERG isn't connecting me the way I really want to be connected, or I'm not learning what I should really learn about community empowerment, or I want to do things on a grassroots level. Like we're always doing things at my company where we're bringing people here or kids here, but we're never going out in the community to do things. So we opened our space up to be the Switzerland for black tech companies and black tech employees. You know, leave your flags at home when you're in here. We're, we're driving nepotism, knowing each other, driving our networks. And then we're just setting up resources for people who've been in Seattle for years who are unfortunately growing up in the central district, being pushed out of the central district, but watching billion dollar companies sprout up all around them and saying, how do I learn technology? How do I, how do I know someone that can put me on a path as a mentor to maybe even get an entry level job in one of these companies? Right. And so if you don't know people, you don't even have a place to start. And that's what the union is trying to provide is a, is a concentration in the middle of downtown Seattle for black excellence. 
Well, you and I have spoken before and you had mentioned, you know, you, you talk about these big companies and, you know, this diversity and inclusion initiatives that many have. Yet, you know, Amazon had had an event for some workers and they took it to a co-working space yeah. and didn't even think of the union, which is... Oh, they probably thought of the union. They just decided not to use the union. So it's like, it's not one of those things where we're not known. Yeah. People are making conscious decisions about where they put their dollars, even in the name of Black History Month. So to watch a company like Amazon raise an RBG flag in the name of Pan-Africanism and then go do their Black History Month in a white-owned co-working space, the hypocrisy is just comedic. It wasn't even worth commenting on from us, right? Because it's just one of those things where you look at that and say, what narrative are you actually pushing? You, don't, you didn't cut a single dollar. And I'm, like, I'm part of a large consortium of black-led organizations. I reached out to about 10 black-led organizations and said, did any of y'all receive a check from Amazon this month for Black History Month? For events at your spaces? <laughs> for anything. <laughs> just for anything. Yeah. Because... They just raised the Pan-African flag downtown, the red, black, and green flag created by Marcus Garvey. Like, there's some real symbolism behind that. And, like, to let a trillion-dollar company use the symbolism of black empowerment while simultaneously pushing dollars away from black businesses, like, you can't get more hypocritical. So shame on Amazon for not knowing better. Shame on the Black Employee Network for not knowing better. You know, and then as a community, I'm sitting here looking at these organizations in our community saying, you know, we are building our own alliance agreements. That sooner or later, that kind of stuff is going to stop because you can't just use black narratives and black pain for your own messaging. Yeah. I'm speaking yes. with Arif from The Union and Frank from Roomba Notes. And um, this is going off of a conversation we just had with hip hop artist Dre's about his song, Building Black Wealth. You know, and he, and he had said in our conversation that, you know, it's it's about going that extra mile to to build black wealth by, you know, buying from black owned businesses. So, for example, like if you want coffee in, in Starbucks is just right across the street, go that extra mile and go to the black owned coffee shop. It might cost more. It might be further away, but you're putting money into the black community rather than, you know, a white business owner or whatever. And so this idea of building black wealth, which is really important. But do you feel like sometimes it's easier said than done? You know, like a reface, as you just said with Amazon, like they chose a, a white co-work, you know, white owned co-working space versus, you know, the union. What are some struggles that you think, you know, that some people face just to take that step, you know, to 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 actually go into practice, buy from black owned businesses? Are there certain struggles along the way? For example, to, if you are trying to get a loan to start a business, there are those requirements that you go through that don't fit where you, you are starting from, but it fits more of the other groups that are available, are able to fill out their forms quickly and say, oh, yeah, I have this, I have this, I have this. But those are things that have been developed over years. But for us, like black-owned businesses who are small business owners, sometimes you start from really, really scratch and you don't have those requirements to fit into the box, you know. So, yeah, those are the struggles we have. But together, you know, buying from each other and having other people buy from us, 
will help us clear those struggles. Can you talk a little bit more about what it was like for you to open up a business? You know, you talk about loans. I mean, are there other just like systemic issues, you know, like historically systemic issues that that make it harder for a black owned business owner to open a business versus like a white cis male? Yeah, I used to operate booths like festivals, for example, folk life festivals. Mm -hmm. And people would ask me, so where is your restaurant? And I didn't have a restaurant. So I said, okay, I better open a restaurant. And I approached some of the places where there are other restaurants that are successful when they advertised space for lease. But you go in there and they tell you, oh, okay, we are looking at what you have, but you have to be making $600,000 to be able to get this space. He says, so if you are at 50000 and you know you, ca- you are capable of generating revenue up to $600,000, but at that point you're not able to, and you're putting your case forward and you're being told, no, you know, you can't. That's very difficult. So it's a so, matter of saying you need to make this much money up front. As soon as you open up shop, you need to be bringing in $600,000, and if not, maybe you got to Take that out of pocket? Yeah, take that out of pocket. Some of us don't even have an inheritance, you know. (laughs) So, uh, uh, for example, I I I moved here from Kenya. I arrived here with $60 in my pocket. And when was that? That's like uh, 34 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, and... And and then <laughs> Arif just gave him a fist pump. <laughs> yeah. So to you see how how money is. Yeah. So you didn't have some, much to work sometimes with. Sometimes you have ideas, but uh, you you don't have the capacity in in uh, capital to start. But anyway, we went ahead and opened up Rumba Notes. From what Arif is saying, you have to develop our own infrastructure. It was difficult, but with friends and family, I was able to get it going. And now I'm very happy to see that we are employing some of the people who could not be employed, unemployable, and they're doing a good job. But if they had gone to a company that says, okay, we are looking for employees, they tried to look for a job and they couldn't get it. But we brought them on board, and they, are do, they, have, they have done a good job. So it's just a matter of every day trying to be innovative like everyone else and show that, yeah, we, we are black, but we are able to also uh, achieve certain goals. And how long has Roomba Notes been around for now? So Roomba Notes has been around for five years. Yeah. Arif, do you have any other comments you want to say about just, you know, the struggles of opening up a business? Yeah, you know, I think um, the funniest thing I ever heard, you know, and it still radiates with me is like Donald Trump when he was running. Like my dad gave me a small loan of a million dollars, right? Like (laughs) A small loan. (laughs) That that just shows you the difference in our communities. And like black entrepreneurs start below the ground, not even ground level. Because when you start talking about, like, the systems of, like, what he's talking about right now, about, like, going into a bank, 600000 like, all of these requirements, the truth of the matter is you look like the right person. Those requirements just amazingly go away. 
and people take risk on you because your uncle and your dad play at the country club and they're both members of the whack and you know I've known you for 30 years and you know what Jimmy you ain't got 600 grand but yeah give it a go college try and we'll like watch it you know what I mean so like we start below the ground man and so I always say there's no hustle like an African hustle right like it's just it's true because around the world we've been the bottom of the totem pole everywhere right like black is bad everywhere I've been all around the world black people shit it on all around the world so nowhere can we like you, we start below ground one of the things about the union you asked the original question about like when people are conscious about spending money in black um, businesses how easy or hard is it it's hard you have to be conscious if you're looking for easy you're looking for capitalism easy is Amazon Prime hard is walking out the house and going to support the mom and pop on the corner right and so if you just want easy black businesses ain't easy If you want to support, then it takes some effort on your part. It takes some understanding on your part. Like I tell friends all the time, like, I don't don't like black businesses because of this, that. And it's like, you know what? Provide the feedback to the business owner. Don't come out of the business talking about why you'll never support black businesses. Go back to that business owner and say, hey, I really enjoy X, Y, and Z. But, you know, here's a couple of things about your business I wish you would change. But I still love coming here. And I'm going to keep coming and let me know what other feedback I could provide you. As a business owner, I appreciate that because what you don't understand is we're usually scratching. We don't have a lot of resources. So I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul. I'm I'm down employees. I'm trying to make a thing happen. And so if you're telling me as a customer, you really like the experience, but I need to focus on this, you might help me go focus on that. And so, you know, we get better together. Um, The union, I always say to people, it was very specific in our model when we set it up, but like. Because I've been a tech entrepreneur and I know I've, I've actually built businesses around like black empowerment, black business directories. I have the research that says, you know, the black a dollar stays in the black community seven seconds. And what would it be in the white community? I believe it's 21 days. Uh-huh. Because it's just you need to spend it immediately. Well, no. Where are you going to spend it? Ain't no black owned businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so when a black person gets paid, almost every dollar they spend doesn't go to a black person. Mm -hmm. So they're immediately buying things that does not go into a black economic system. So Asian community, I forget the data, but you can look at this, right? There's days compared to hours for a black community. So one of the things I looked at and said, how do I amplify and replicate a black dollar? So in the union... Prior to having a union, I throw events. I have an events experiential marketing company. We throw events all around the world. One of the things I realized when I used to try to book events, people would say you can only um, use our approved caterer list. So when I would try to bring in black bartenders and black restaurants, I couldn't because their rules of their event space said they had to be on their list. Well, who's on their list? All their friends. It's a that, cycle. Well, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's like what we talk about. Like if you come to the union and you, you book an event as an outside person, you're a company, an organization, you say, I want to support the community, I'm going to have this event at the union. The dollars you spend are going to replicate six times in the six black businesses. All of our caterers are African-owned businesses, restaurants in this area. So whether that's Taste of Caribbean, whether that's Plum, whether that's Roomba or, you know, Safari right next door, like we're going to work with people who are going to provide food. Our bartender and mobile, uh, uh, mobile catering company, black woman-owned business. She provides bartenders for every one of our events. The videographer and photographer you're going to hire that's going to shoot your event in our place, edit it, 
from the black community locally. The DJ, you're going to hire all of our DJs from the black community. And if you know, and so like I can literally show you how the dollars you spend with us amplify into the black community six different ways. Right. Versus you going down to insert another event space and spending that same dollar. And so that's, you know, I, I want to bring that back to say it wasn't just talking about like Amazon's decision to do things. It's talking about black employee networks being conscious of the dollars they're in control of. Yeah. You are literally in control of billionaire dollars, even if you only have a small pool of it. That is the one time, even if it's February, you make conscious decisions to go spend that money in black-owned businesses, even if you don't do it the ever 11 months. Because I guarantee you during International Women's Month, they're not spending money in businesses that are owned by men. Yeah. And yeah. that's an okay narrative to have then. But when it comes about empowering our community, everybody shies away from the racial destruction conversation in this country because we're still sweeping over it, not dealing with it, not, a, not being accountable and not atoning. And so, you know, in the union, I just, I just call everybody else crazy, and we build stuff for black people who are consciously black um, and understand our existence in this world, and we do economic empowerment work and strategic alliance work with other black businesses in the area. That was my conversation with Arif Grussel, who runs the union. It's a co-working space in downtown Seattle that is by and for folks of African descent, along with Frank Uliwenya of Roomba Notes. This conversation was recorded back in March. I followed up with both of them recently to see how business has been since the pandemic hit. I heard back from Arif, who said June was the union's second anniversary, and he's committed to keeping the space going, but is now having to tap into his own pocket to keep the business afloat. Well, that was Sound and Vision. Thank you so much for listening. And please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It deems it worthy in the podcast world. And also, if you want to go the extra mile during these uncertain times, you can give a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks so much for taking the time today to tune in, and we'll chat more soon.